How do I get your job? How do you get my job? The question's coming from an audience member at Jeopardy's taping in 2016 at D.C.'s Constitution Hall. You grow up in northern Ontario, Canada. You uh, get a good education. You pay your dues in broadcasting by starting in radio, working for uh, many years, then moving on to television. You get experience hosting game shows, dealing with audiences and contestants on your feet without any script. As you notice, I don't have any cue cards or anything like that. And then you have to be lucky to be hired on a show that is going to succeed. Alex had gone from working at the Canadian Broadcasting Company to hosting various game shows to becoming one of the most recognizable figures in American culture. And he held that spotlight for over 30 years. Alex always said that Jeopardy! was about the contestants. I don't try to force the spotlight to be on me when I'm hosting these programs. But there was something about him as a host. People loved Alex. I seem to be, you know, your, your uncle, your friendly neighbor, and uh, people react to that in a positive way. Uh, they feel comfortable with me. Some Jeopardy! viewers even referred to him as family. Well, first of all, I just want you to know we call you Uncle Alex in my house to my baby girl. You call me Uncle Alex in your house? My baby girl. Get out. <laughs> Uncle Alex? Like, like Uncle Tanoose? She Uncle Alex. She called a couple other people on the other things, but yes. <laughs> he was an icon. He was bigger than life. This is Sandy Goodman, longtime makeup artist for Jeopardy! and specifically for Alex Trebek. She and Renee Ferrugia, who did Alex's hair, worked with him for years and years. The first six months, he intimidated the living shit out of me. I remember the first time I met Alex Trebek, he stepped out on stage and was like, whoa, that's Alex. Of course, he was poised and professional, but he was also intimidating, and he had that effect on most people. But there was a lot more to him, too. When I started to really see the man for who he is. And he was really, really a bit of a marshmallow underneath. He really was. A few episodes back, we did a deep dive on Alex, the host. But what was he like before the curtain call? What about after the tape day wrapped? What made him tick? What delighted him? What challenged or surprised him? I'm your host, Buzzy Cohen, and from Sony Music Entertainment and Sony Pictures TV, this is Jeopardy, the story of America's favorite quiz show. Today, a few more stories about the quintessential Alex when the cameras weren't rolling. Factors ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. When my schedule gets busy, it's nice to have pre-prepared, chef-created, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to my door. With over 35 different options a week to choose from and over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, make your weekly meal planning even more delicious and easy with Factor. Plus, Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Head to factormeals.com slash Jeopardy50 and use code Jeopardy50 to get 50% off. That's code Jeopardy50 at factormeals.com slash Jeopardy50 to get 50% off. 
Alex was, in his bones, a man of routine. He taped 46 days per year for over 30 years, and they all looked something like this. Here's Jean Trebek, his wife. Alarm clock would go off at 5.30 in the morning. He would immediately jump out of bed where I was like, you know, you're going to trip one day. Like, give yourself a moment to get your blood back in your, you know, your body. He would immediately take a shower every morning and he would get to the studio. So he would be ahead of the traffic. And he also liked to be one of the first ones at the studio. He would leave with a Diet Coke and a Milky Way in hand. And then I think he enjoyed a donut at the studio. I don't know if anybody told you the donut story, but we get donuts on tape day. This is Rocky Schmidt, a longtime Jeopardy producer. And there's donuts in the, the booth, there's donuts in the library, there's donuts upstairs for the production people. And it's a variety, right? But Alex liked chocolate donuts. I guess because he was the first one there, he usually could get his pick of any donut he wanted. Well, we hired a new researcher. And um, so Alex didn't go to get his donut right away. And all of a sudden, there weren't a chocolate donut for, uh, for him. And he went around the office and, hey, new guy, chocolate donut's mine. <laughs> Instead of just like, okay, you know what? We'll order two chocolate donuts in the, in the packet. Donuts. All varieties of donuts are everywhere on tape days. And with very, very few exceptions, Alex always got his chocolate donut. After that came Alex's morning meeting with the writers. Here's Harry Friedman, former executive producer of Jeopardy. He would get the five games at 6.30 and read through them, going through them for his diacritical marks, the pronunciations, construction of the clues, determining or confirming whether or not something was accurate or whether or not there should be other answers that were acceptable as correct. At 9 o'clock, we had our morning meeting, and it was Alex, me, Lisa Broffman, and uh, the writers and researchers. And it was around a, about an eight-foot-long table in the library. When you were in the library with Alex, he was wearing a pair of dad jeans and an old T-shirt that he got for free from somewhere. And it might have had holes in it. It might have had paint stains on it. He was not well-dressed in the office. This is Michelle Loud, co-head writer of Jeopardy. And to be clear, Alex would get into a suit eventually. And so we would go through the games, and sometimes we would have to defend certain questions if Alex thought that they were too tough or too easy or unclear. He could suggest an entire category or just throw out, you know, here's an idea for a final, here's an idea for a category. So he definitely suggested material pretty regularly. Then when our business was done, then it was time to talk about the events of the day or maybe the, the previous day. That could be anything from politics to movies to music to, you know, you name it, any subject. After he met with the writers... He would be in the makeup chair at 11. Alex's makeup artist, Sandy Goodman, again. He had this humongous forehead, and I always would shade his forehead and then contour under his cheeks, contour under his chin, and contour his nose. 
She and Renee Ferrugia, who did Alex's hair, prepared him to go on stage every single tape day. They took turns. Makeup would go first. Unless I was going to cut his hair, which I did like usually every other week just to keep it, you know, looking good. And Alex treated it as a break from the hustle, a time where he could relax, literally. He fell asleep so many times when I would do his makeup. Oh, my God. I'd be doing his makeup, and I literally would put my hand under his chin, and I'd feel the weight. So I knew he was out like a light. And then I'd have to wake him up so I could do underneath his eyes. And I'd say to him, I'm so sorry, I have to wake you up now. And I said to Alex, you know, I think if you put a makeup chair in your master bedroom, you'd be able to fall asleep a lot easier. After hair, makeup, wardrobe, Alex would head to the stage. Then comes the part that we all know. Here we go, Jeopardy round. And your categories. Real historical housewives of D.C. During commercial breaks, Alex would step away from the lectern and talk to the studio audience. He started these Q&As back in the early days of the show to build rapport with Jeopardy viewers, but even after his reputation had been cemented, he kept on doing them. It had become routine. So if you have uh, any questions you would like to ask, don't be shy. Raise your hand. We get to talk. Yes, at the back. You're so knowledgeable. How would you do as a contestant? <laughs> if I were in against my peers, uh, I might do well. But I've always maintained that a good 30-year-old would clean my clock any day of the week. It would typically be probably the same five, six, seven questions from the audience. And he did it with good humor. He did it very often, almost as if, oh, no one's ever asked that before. What did you study in school? Philosophy. I know why I'm here. <laughs> what other hobbies besides uh, construction do you have? I drink. <laughs> one percent milk. I love one percent milk. And I cannot, I cannot sip milk. It's got to be cold, and I slug it. I also drink Chardonnay, but I don't mix the two. Did you and uh, Sean Connery really have beef during Celebrity Jeopardy? I have no connection with Sean Connery. If I were to meet Sean Connery, I would probably punch him. <laughs> Alex would roll out the same jokes over and over again. In an alternate universe, if you In an alternate universe... If you weren't the host of Jeopardy, what would you be doing? In an alternate universe, if I were not the host of Jeopardy, what would I be doing? I would like to be Pope. <laughs> the reason is I look good in white. The Q&A was an opportunity for Alex to have some fun and also show his playful side. He took every question in stride, and for the most part, Jeopardy ran like a well-oiled machine. This is Sandy again. Alex used to refer to these jobs as annuities because nobody ever left. And so it was a very much a routine. But even when you've got a routine as established as Jeopardy's, there are still bound to be some mishaps. This is Johnny Gilbert, the voice of Jeopardy. One day, we came in, I came in as we did to do the show, Said hello, talked for a while. I went into my dressing room, went in to use the bathroom, and the toilet was overflowing. It was broken. And I came out, of course, I didn't know what to do with it. 
And I came out of my dressing room looking for the stage manager to see if I could get somebody to fix this thing. And I, I'm calling, and Alex says, what's wrong, Johnny? And I said, Alex, my toilet's overflowing. He got up out of the makeup chair, took the makeup robe off, went into my bathroom, and fixed the toilet. More on Alex and his penchant for fixing to come. But honestly, accidents like that were rare. And even if he did have to fix a toilet, Alex made sure that a tape date always wrapped at the same time. He was efficient. And if I had a nickel for every time, Alex would say, come on, John, let's go. Come on, John, let's go. Because we would shoot three shows prior to lunch, break for lunch, and then we'd shoot two more. And Alex, let's go, let's go. This is Gene Trebek. As soon as the show finished taping, like at 10 to 4, I think he went into his makeup room, didn't really wash his face, but just cleaned up a little bit, got in the truck. And for 30 years, I could clock it. He was never late coming home. I loved that. I loved that I could always rely that he would show up by 4.40. He would, the gates would open and the red truck would pull in. And then it was family time, home time, solitary time. More after the break. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girly? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. After a tape day, I knew to leave him alone. <laughs> I would have a glass of Chardonnay ready, poured in the fridge. I tried to make a nicer meal on tape days because I just felt he was tired. Alex would unwind with that glass, settling in to watch the Dodgers, the Lakers, Kings, whoever was on. You know, in retrospect, he gave so much of himself on those tape days, talking and and you know, being very present and curious and keeping the energy of the show high and interesting. So I knew when he came home, there wasn't, he didn't have any more to give to me. And so I honored that and that was fine. And I was just glad he was home. I could sense if something was like bothering him or something. And he would share if something went, happened or there was a communication that he wasn't feeling complete about. But for the most part, Alex kept the family life separate from the show. Jeopardy almost never made an appearance at home. This is Emily Trebek, Alex and Jean's daughter. 
we would eat usually right around 6.30. So seven o'clock came around and Jeopardy would be on. And we all we did all often watch TV while having dinner, but it was still a very like familial dinner. We did chat and stuff like that, but he liked to watch the news. And then, yeah, we, we would watch Jeopardy and, and he would just want to watch it, I think primarily for critiques of himself. It wasn't like that's our entertainment. It was more kind of research mindset of watching it. Time at home was precious. He was a, a very private guy and he liked to be on his own and he didn't need a lot of people around him or, or socializing. My parents did not do a whole lot of entertaining when I was growing up. That's Matt, Emily's older brother. I think because when we did try to have maybe have a holiday party or something like that. As soon as dinner was over, dad would just go to bed. And he said, all right, everybody, I'll see you guys later. And the party would continue, but he would just leave. As soon as his portion of the meal was done, he's out. He kind of was a a solo rider a little bit and was very tight-knit with our family and very smart, very determined, very responsible and productive. So I think... Maybe people assumed, oh, he's so lovely and sweet and friendly to all the contestants and and smart, which are all true. But I think they also maybe assumed he was like that all the time. And I think actually, you know, off cameras, he was more private, more quiet, a little more reserved. Jean remembers when she first met Alex back in the 80s, being struck by this quality. I don't recall ever him saying... I'm the host of Jeopardy, and this is what my job is like. I love that Alex didn't lead with that. He wasn't like, oh, this is this is what I'm all about. And I do think Alex liked that I didn't know what he did. He wasn't, um, you know, I didn't watch TV a lot, so I wasn't uh, aware of his job. You know, he could have been a dentist or whatever. I knew he had a lot of integrity and intelligence and wisdom. And that's what really drew me to him. As partners, Alex and Jean's personalities played well off each other. As parents, they also struck a balance. I was more of the go explore and it's okay if your homework's not done, we'll get it done tomorrow. (laughs) And Alex was more, you know, you got to do it now. There's rules, you know, and I think that was a great blend. Alex encouraged his kids to give their all, often by giving his all. He always showed up to sports games, was always in the front row, basically backseat coaching all of our sporting games. Sometimes it was a little more than backseat coaching. This is Matt. I was involved in a lot of sports, and he was always a like a coach for baseball teams or anything like that. He'd always wear his baseball cap and the same outfit. He'd be, you know, probably in the front row or standing on the sidelines. He wasn't a big socializer with other parents. He was very hands-on with our schoolwork, just a very involved dad. I used to have to do book reports in the summertime. This is Nikki Trebek, Alex's stepdaughter, who also ended up working with him on Jeopardy for many years. Like he'd give me a book during the summer when I was about 12. 
and give me the whole summer to do a book report. So those are the kind of things I remember as far as like regimented and strict, you know. Uh, I think his intentions were just for us not to waste time, uh, idle time, and always be trying to learn something. So whatever he could do to impress that upon us, me. When Alex had time to himself at home, he did what he loved most, fix things. Remember that broken toilet on the Jeopardy set? This is Gene. If he could fix something, he would do it. We had this swing in the backyard, and rather than just get a new cushion for the swing, he went out and bought the fabric and sewed a cushion. Here's Emily. He was very handy. He never wanted to call anyone, any professional, to fix anything. Asking for a handyman would be almost offensive to my dad because he took a lot of pride in being able to fix a lot of stuff around the house. So I think if any one of us suggested to him to hire someone, he would look at us like we're crazy. He'd often rope Matt in to assisting him. As a kid, I would always have to help him with a project before going out and hanging out with friends or something. Usually it was digging, like sprinklers are just random, (laughs) trench lines that you have to help before you go out and, and play. Alex didn't just fix things, he also saved them. He was a man that did not like to waste anything. For instance, if I would throw away a shoebox, he would take it out of the garbage and he would put it down in his garage and maybe he would put um, little light bulbs in it and then he would label the shoebox, you know, batteries or whatever he put in it. He was, you know, very thoughtful in what to throw away. Alex was very thoughtful in all aspects of his life. At times, maybe a little too thoughtful. We'll be back after the break. It was important to Alex that he did his best. I did recognize that he had a perfectionism flowing through him. This is Gene. It was a sense of pride in what you do. And, I mean, everything, his closet was neat. His handwriting is neat. The way he would park the car, he just wouldn't park if it wasn't, he would back up and, you know, get it in the right lines, you know, and... He just was not a messy kind of, oh, that's good enough. He really gave it his all. Whether it was parking the car or working around the house, this is Matt. He would only swear when he was upset if he was working on something. It would be a lot of like just personal frustration with a a project or something that he's working on. Usually sprinklers. I think it has more just to do with really wanting things to be as good as you can make them, you know? Gene saw how deeply Alex cared. I just didn't want it to weigh down on him because sometimes it did, you know? And and I know at the studio, if it didn't come out right, he really worried if 
how that presented. Did I say the right thing? Did that sound, uh, you know, so it's, it's that, you know, and also having the cameras in front of you is added pressure. Every once in a while in the course of a show, while reading a clue, he would make a mistake or maybe he said something wrong or we'd have to do a pickup. This is Harry Friedman. And that's relatively easy on Jeopardy because the host is never on camera while reading the clue. So to do audio pickups of a clue, we already have the video, it's just redoing the audio. He hated having to do that. And in fact, there was a time when we had to wait until the studio audience was cleared until he would do those pickups. And we finally convinced him that, look, you're human, you make mistakes. If people see that you're not perfect, I think they'll find it endearing and they'll find it genuine. And so eventually we started doing those pickups in whatever commercial break followed the clue that needed to be picked up. And that was a big, big give for him because, again, he didn't want to be perceived as being anything less than the highest of high quality. And that, that was sort of the, the Jeopardy ethos, and he represented that so well. But Alex had his doubts. He was very hard on himself. Every year or so, he would call me and say, I just don't think I have it anymore. I don't think as quickly as I used to think. I I make mistakes. Maybe it's time for me to just step down. This is Lisa Broffman, co-executive producer of Jeopardy. And... I would tell him, Alex, you have lost sight of how good you are. You do maybe one or two pickups a show. You know all the answers. You know all the questions. You are so good at what you do. Alex was able to hear those words sometimes, but he would always be someone who never stopped striving for the best. This is Nikki Trebek again. There's always room to improve. And everybody around him, he kind of expected that same thing. There's always room to improve. You never stop improving. You never stop learning. That was who he was. Alex expected a lot, but he also gave a lot and gave in intentional and deliberate ways. This is Gene. When we first got married, he changed his little wine cellar into my closet. And he had a little plaque on the door and it said, Jean's Closet Made with Love by Alex and the date on it. He did look little things like that. You know, I think he knew that those personal touches really went a long way. Every gift that he gave had a handwritten note with it. Every gift that he received, he wrote, a handwritten thank you note. This is Harry again. One time he came in to the morning meeting and he handed me this elongated box. And I opened it and it was a a long, long serrated edge bread knife with a carved handle. And I said, wow, what's this for? And he said, you know, I saw these and I, I knew Jeannie, his wife, would like one. He said, you know, I thought Judy would like one too. That's my wife. Alex understood the power of small gestures and bigger ones, too. He always threw the Jeopardy! staff holiday party on his own dime. 
one year he held it at a comedy club and brought in a comedian and he just he loved to see and hear people laugh he'd rent out venues organize talent i mean there was no job he didn't do this is sandy my husband and i are driving to go park and i look over and there's a high top table with one chair and it's alex sitting outside the club by himself with a list and he's checking each person off that's coming in. And I'm thinking, why wouldn't he have somebody do that for him? But that's Alex. He handled everything because it mattered that much to him and because, well, everything needed to be just right. This is Rocky again. He loved being in control of his own destiny. I would go, can't we just send a car to pick you up at the airport? You're going to come home tired, can't? No, no, Jeannie and the kids will pick me up, or I'll, you know, I'll just take a cab, or, or whatever. He also found ways to give to people he didn't know, whether he was donating money to organizations or donating his time. We were in Wisconsin doing a college tournament. This is Sandy. And there was an elderly gentleman sitting outside the hockey locker room. They were honoring Alex with a hockey jersey. So they take all their photo ops. And, and Alex and I are walking out of the locker room. And this elderly man who was seated right outside the locker room pops up like a jack-in-a-box. And he said, Mr. Trebek, can I shake your hand? And Alex stopped and chatted him up for like five minutes and then somebody said, we need to get going. And we started to walk away. And my eyes welled up with tears. And he looked at me and he said, Sandy, what is wrong with you? And I said, you don't get it, Alex. I said, to you, you were just being kind. You were just extending just a couple of minutes of your time to this man. And I said, you don't get it. He's going to talk about this until he closes his eyes for the last time. Here's Emily. I don't think anyone got anything wrong about who he was. I just think they didn't get the full picture because they only see one dimension of him, you know, being the host. I think what they missed out on is a lot of softness at times, hardness at times. So back to that question, who was the man behind the lectern? Alex was a perfectionist, caring, funny, committed. He could be a stickler for details, but he was always reliable. He was reserved. His family was the most important thing to him, followed very closely by his job. The spotlight energized him, while those quiet moments he could find were absolutely essential. He was a man with his foibles who always strived to be better. Not so different from many of us. Next week on This Is Jeopardy. We were going to be the ones that had the cameras and we were going to be doing all of these crazy things, maybe opening the show, jumping off a cliff and, and with a parachuter or being on a roller coaster. And it was a work in progress. This Is Jeopardy, the story of America's favorite quiz show is a production of Sony Music Entertainment and Sony Pictures TV. It's hosted by me, Buzzy Cohen. This episode was produced by Julia Doyle. The series producers are Julia Doyle, Rob Dozier, Sylvie Lubau, and Mia Warren. Associate producers are Serena Chow and Sonny Balkin. 
Our series editor is Sarah Kramer. Executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs, Tom Koenig, Sarah Kramer, Michael Davies, and Suzanne Preddy. Production management help from Susanya Davenport and Tamika Balance-Kolosny. Our theme song was composed by Hannes Brown. Cedric Wilson is our engineer. Special thanks to Charlie Yetter and Steve Ackerman. And a big, big thank you to the Jeopardy staff and crew for all of their time and help on this. Shout out to Alexa Machia. If you love the show, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.